Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> beloved Orthodox Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, <coughs> in the Holy Gospel, our Savior says to his apostles and disciples that when one lights a candle, he doesn't put it under a bushel, but puts it on a candlestick and on a table, so that the light of the candle may shine upon all who enter and go into the house. And this is talked about the apostles and the saints. And this is what we have come to witness today. A man who shone forth with bright light and burnt up himself doing so. The bright light with which our metropolitan burnt was first and foremost the light of his holy life. A life that from his youth up he followed, falling in love with the monastic life of being dedicated to God with all his heart, his all his mind, all his soul, all his thinking. And that first love that he had, he never betrayed. His holy life was of one that entirely dedicated to the love of God. And that is what one can see even when he was consecrated a bishop. For that greatest of temptations for monastics, to lose their monasticism when they are consecrated bishopric, did not happen with this holy man. But he continued to be that unassuming monk, a friend who was unassuming, who was unpretentious, no pomp, no circumstance, no, nothing of the sort, but rather a man who was approachable, who was kind, compassionate, meek, a man who was truly a man of God. That was the first reason why I say that his light shone, and he, like a candle, itself burns up quietly, peacefully. That's how he burned himself. The more one shines, candle shines, more quickly one burns up and burns up, uh, ends up burning up quietly, like our Metropolitan also departed from us, peacefully, quietly, without moan, without complaint, handing his soul over to our Savior. But the second, because he was a man of God, because he had loved our Savior from his youth up, because he had dedicated love to monasticism, of holding his monastic vows paramount and foremost, of having the, his real diocese above the dioceses that he governed was his own self, the Holy of Holies. That was where he hastened always after finishing all his uh, ministry to the faithful, hastening to, the, to, to his uh, cell like a, a bridegroom runs towards the, the bridal chamber. Because there he conversed with God. There he had communion face to face with our Savior. And because this, because over the decades he maintained his life of abstinence, life of monasticism, life of holiness, our Savior also blessed him with that to shine with another light. The light of zeal for the faith. The zeal for the things of God. Zeal for the church. Zeal for God. We had amongst ourselves the Elias of our days. Like the Elias who fled to Mount Zion to see face to face with God. And there our Savior asked him, Why comest thou here, Elias? And he answered, I've been exceedingly zealous for the Lord my God. Likewise, our Elias was zealous for things of God throughout his life. And that is why our Savior gave him a gift. A gift to have the mind of the fathers. Not just to know about the fathers. Anybody can do that. Anybody can quote fathers as much as they want without really saying anything what the fathers were saying. 
but to have the mind of the fathers, to delve into the depths of the scriptures, of the sayings of the fathers, of the, of the services of the church, and to bring it out and deliver to his flock in that beautiful, simple, direct way as he did, that is a gift of God. It's not something that one learns in the seminaries, which he so detested himself, the seminary learning, but rather directly from God. After many years of purification, of illumination, one comes to that stage, and that is what a who a metropolitan was. Somebody who could go probe the depths of our faith and bring it as a beautiful teaching to his flock. Like a bee that goes throughout the field and picks the different nectars from different flowers and, and sucks up the nectar. But what does it do? Does it deliver us the nectar? No, it transforms it into honey. That's what our Metropolitan did. He sucked up the nectar from different fathers, from the scriptures, all the new, from the services of the church, but didn't just show it there is a nectar. He himself transformed it for us into honey, so that palate of our mouth would be refreshed, so that in this day of darkness and this day of desolation, we would have such a consoling man to look after us, to be a shepherd, a guide, to be a man of God, not one only who knows the fathers, but who is one of the holy fathers among us. That is who he was, and that is what he has delivered unto us. And one looks that everything that he touched, any subject he wrote about, talked about, anything, has such depths that one could have looked at that quote from the Father and that teaching of the Father throughout his life and never understood that that's exactly what it means. And our Metropolitan had that gift and that is what he gave us. We take for granted many times, beloved Christians, that we know what the, for example, among other things, the heresy of ecumenism is and what is the correct position to have. But where do we know it from? Where do we know how to navigate the shallow waters of this time full of heresies and season to seasons to have the right guide, to have the right compass? Where do we know it from? From this man, unassuming man. Now that people, now people try to figure out things that he had already written decades of God, of how to be pious, confessing Orthodox Christian in this time of betrayal, of apostasy. Just as a St. Metropolitan Philaret of New York in the 60s, in the 70s, when everybody was silent, he was the only one writing truly profound understanding of what, how to defend our faith. So also, our Metropolitan took up that banner. And in, after his righteous repose of St. Philaret, he continued to tell us how the Fathers teach us to navigate ourselves in this terrible day and age. And ecumenism is just a, a minor thing. But just recently we discovered that our Metropolitan had, had written uh, a most concise, most beautiful, brief exposition of the Orthodox faith. He had never signed it. He wrote it from, for St. Nectarius uh, uh, Cathedral. Go out and see how many churches now use it. Even those who falsely call themselves Orthodox among the Moscow Patriarch in OCA and so forth. It is the most comprehensive and most concise exposition of the Orthodox faith. Ten pages. And there if you have the Orthodox faith like no other man could interpret in our age. 
and not in the manner of catechisms and things uh, like that, but rather in a traditional way of confession. It starts, I believe in God the Father, and so explains the whole creed and adds more and more things that are part of our tradition, of part of being Orthodox Christian. There we have this man who did such things for us, who left us this this wonderful interpretations of the fathers because as I say he not only knew about the fathers he had the mind of the fathers he was one of the fathers but this beautiful story of having a shepherd who guides the church couldn't go without trials trials that hurt him beyond what we can imagine because It cannot be that one preach the word of God to be a confessor and at the same time not go through the trials. For those very things that are honey to us, those teachings, those who want to hear, who have their minds and ears open to the, to the teachings of the church, to those who are in their mind, they have closed their ears to the faith, that honey becomes gold. And those for whom the bright light of the candle is a shining light, for others it becomes a burning fire. And for those who, for whom the teachings of the church are precious stones, for others they become a rock of offense. And it is not that our Metropolitan went through this. This is the road that was traced out by our Savior himself. Because rock of offense, that word rock of offense is called St. Peter in his epistle says about our Savior and his teachings. For just as his teachings, the words of our Savior, are a precious stone, the cornerstone upon the word church is built, that same stone becomes for those not who are unbelieving, but those who are falsely faithful. For them it becomes a stumbling block and the rock of offense. For what do we hear in the Holy Gospel of beloved Christians of St. John? That when our Savior delivered that teaching to His disciples, that in what consists salvation, in eating His flesh and drinking His blood, what happened? It says that many of His disciples stopped following Him at that time. And for what reason? The reason being that they said, it is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? And that is why most of the disciples at that moment fall, stopped following our Savior. And the twelve to whom he turned afterwards, he asked, Do you wish also to leave me now? He said, No, Master, Peter said, for who has the words of eternal life? And that road that our Savior traced of his words being both sweet to those who want to be faithful and to be bitter to those who want to be faithless, and for his words to be a precious stone for those who have opened their minds to listen to him, but being at the same time a rock of offense to those who do not want to believe, all the saints walked that road. And that is gi a given. St. Isaac the Syrian tells us, do not look for another road. That is the road, that is the way we have to follow. All the apostles followed it. Paul especially, the apostle who was both listened, those who want to listen to him, and was derided and mocked by those who considered themselves Christians. 
because they didn't want to listen to him. And on and on we find so many examples in the life of St. Pachomius the Great, of St. Simeon the New Theologian. Things that we take for granted today that we should listen to the saints was not as clear in those days because in those days in the lifetime of those saints there were people who were mocking them. There were people who would stop their ears like asps. People who would not accept this teaching but re reject it. And that is what our Metropolitan went to as well. Because there were those who we th he thought, and we all thought, were the ones who, had, who were the, the sons and friends and companions and co-combatants uh, in the spiritual warfare, who turned out to be just as those who had abandoned our Savior because the, the saying was too hard for them to take. And his heart bled. He didn't say much, but it really bled at this betrayal. But even in those, especially in those moments, the true adamantine souls, that's when they shine forth. That's when they show strength, when they show power, their patience to go through even this for their faithfulness to Christ. In those, I don't want to talk about those th days uh, much more, but I have something to share with you which I've been waiting for, uh, for, for this day to do so. When that last uh, trial happened in 2012, <coughs> Metropolitan, our beloved father, was and I were living in the in the diocese house, and I was his secretary as well because the emails would come in. I had to print them out to him. He would read them, and he would write down with his with his uh, pen upon the, the the paper, and I would afterwards type them up and send out and back. And this one email came from one of then faithful of our church who was basically telling uh, Metropolitan that what was the legacy he was leaving to the church. Because of his stance, he said, an arrogant letter. Because of his stance, he, many people had left the church and uh, we are becoming fewer and fewer. And what was the legacy? What was he thinking about to be so uh, adamantine in his position? And what did uh, Metropolitan answer? There is his handwriting given glued in, but that was his trademark, to glue in the, 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 the paper, <laughs> Xerox paper of the quote in there. He says, <coughs> Dear Panagioti, <coughs> in his second epistle to St. Timothy, St. Paul writes, Demas, <coughs> in love with this present world, has deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will requite him for his deeds. Beware of him also, yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one took my part. All deserted me, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength and pro to proclaim the message fully that all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil and save me from for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he continues, how much It would be great to have numbers, but it is even greater to have the truth. If we want numbers, we can go to any other of the large 
churches, they have the numbers. And he concludes, even if all desert me, your metropolitan Ephraim is going to remain stubbornly entrenched in his holy orthodox Christian faith. <laughs> this is the legacy I leave to you and to your family. And this is the legacy to all of us, beloved Christians, to be entrenched stubbornly in our orthodox faith, in our love for the faith, love for our church, the church that he loved so much. He called it a little ship, a little safe haven. And he labored so much to it that if we want to be like Eliseus is, who received, I don't ask for double portion, none of us should, a tenth of the grace of our Elias, we should show faithfulness. We should show our stubbornness in Orthodox faith, and our care for his legacy, for his vision of what our church is all about and why it is important for us, all of us, not just bishops, but clergy, monastics, and the faithful, to keep this legacy of his alive. Let us bid farewell to our dear Father, to our sweet Shepherd, who left us on the earth, but we obtained him today, together with our Yaronda, as great intercessor, who is praying for us, caring for us, and will, he will do so as long as we take care to be faithful to his legacy. So be it. Amen. Amen.